Yai rai rai rai, hiri rai rai, hiri rai rai, hiri rai rai rai, hiri 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 rai rai, rai rai rai, rai rai rai, rai rai Hiri rai nai ni nai nai hayai rai rai dom hiri rai rai ni rai rai hi nai na nai nai ni rai 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 dom hiri rai 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 yai rai yai dom Shalom shalom friends I started with that nigun um that ends um uh it goes you know because that, that, one of my kids asked me, does God sleep? And that melody popped into my head where it says, uh, lo yishan, uh, that God does not sleep, um, <laughs> which is, I guess, not a good thing to emulate. But anyway, that's why that melody is in my head today around uh, the divine lack of sleep. Um, hope everyone is doing well today and excited to explore this. Kindness class number 33. Some of you have been at, at every one or almost every one of uh, infusing more kindness in our lives. <clears throat> and one of the perhaps less obvious categories, um, but it obviously will make sense as we explore it, is miniat atzlanut. Um, that sometimes we want to be kind, but we're just lazy. We're just lazy. So this is a little bit of a musr, what they say in yeshiva. It's a musr schmooze. It's like a little patch. It's a little patch on the face. Like, wake up, come on, you know. But uh, you know, not in a mean way, of course. But in a, in a sweet way, like you know, humans are are lazy, and you know, not any of you, of course. Um, but some humans are lazy, and and, uh, and we can wake ourselves up. Uh, so here we go. Uh, let's start with a poll here. A little poll on this question around laziness. Laziness is mostly a challenge for me when option number one psychologically, I know I need to do something, but I feel a force of procrastination working against me. Option, oh yes, exactly. Thank you, Aglaia, yes. It, it comes from Psalms, exactly. Option two, I'm physically just more comfortable laying around doing nothing, right? Or sitting around or... Option three, intellectually, I would have to learn something new and that feels uncomfortable, right? So what is the source of when you're, when you experience laziness, is it psychological? Is it physical? Is it intellectual? Um, what is the main source of, of your own uh, your own laziness? Uh, I think I have mine here. Okay. All right. Let's see what we got here. Okay. Over half uh, are aware of themselves that it's psychological for them. Um, and then about 29% say it's physical. And then only about 14% say it's intellectual about having to learn something new. Very interesting. Okay. So as we continue to get self-awareness around uh, becoming better people and actualizing our potential, we can continue to examine kind of what prevents us from doing what's right or uh, what we know it's right, right? Um, okay, are humans hardwired to primarily seek meaning, to seek pleasure, to avoid pain? What is at the core of the human experience? It is hard to say what is most fundamental to the human being, although many have tried for a long time. And perhaps there is no one-size-fits-all answer. 
But any student of history or, or contemporary psychology can easily see the common desire of avoiding effort. Today, if one can get someone else to do things for them, mow their lawn, clean their pool, deliver the groceries, etc., then it's viewed as desirable. Is there anything that is still worth doing ourselves when someone else can do it for us? Perhaps the biggest culprit in our laziness and unwillingness to exert ourselves can be found in the psychological tools of excuse-making. Orchot Sadikim, which is a well-known work of Musar, of anonymous authorship, explains how the traps of laziness affects one's own lear one's learning. If people say to a, la a lazy person, your teacher is in a nearby city, go and learn from, from them, they respond, I fear there's going to be a lion on the highway. If they say your teacher is in your own city, then they respond, I fear there's a lion in the streets. If they say your teacher is near your home, they respond, I'm afraid a lion is outside. And if they say your teacher is in a room inside your home, they respond, I'm afraid that if I rise from the bed, the door will be locked. And if they say, but the door is open, they respond, I need a little more sleep, right? And so here we kind of explore like an understanding of our own thought processes, of our own kind of justifications for not doing what we feel is a great thing to do. How many of us just want a little more self-care, just a little more relaxation? We may know that there's there's no viable excuse for any for any one of us to not be addressing others' suffering for at least a few minutes every week, yet we manage to find 20 excuses while maintaining the memory of our soup kitchen volunteer experience from three months ago. Earlier is our justification to comfort ourselves from facing our entrapment of sloth. The great Musar teacher, Rav Chaim Lozado, paints the picture well. We see with our own eyes on numerous occasions how a person is already cognizant of their duty and how already knows what is appropriate for the salvation of their soul and what their obligation to their creator is can nonetheless neglect their duty, though not because of a lack of awareness of their obligation for any other reason. Rather, their lethargic indolence dominates them. And this is what it says to them. I'll eat just a bit or I'll sleep just a bit or it's hard for me to get out of the house or I took off my shirt. How can I possibly put it back on? Or it's very hot outside or it's chilly, it's rainy and all such other pretexts and excuses that the mouths of the indolence are filled with. Indeed, none other than David Melech, King David himself, fell prey to laziness. The biblical text in the... Uh, Sefer Shmuel, the book of Samuel, informs us that he was strolling on his rooftop after rising from bed in the evening when he noticed Bath Bathsheba, right, his greatest sin of all, and subsequently summoned her. The 19th century commentator, the Malbim, comments, this means to say that even in his home, he was not busy with the needs of the people, for he rose from his bed in the evening. And our sages said that after David ate a regular meal, he would sleep until the ninth hour. And if he ate a meal fit for kings, he would sleep until the evening. And even after that, he didn't deal with the needs of the people. And because of this, he came to sin and did not prevent his eyes from seeing a woman bathing, who then, of course, he took um, and then really killed her husband. Um, really a troubling story. And, but, but the greatness of King David amidst all of that evil 
is his deep, deep desire for teshuvah, for repentance and growth, and his real acknowledgement of his sin over and over in, um, in Psalms. It is, of course, not only the privileged and powerful who struggle with energizing themselves to transform the world. The oppressed are also plagued with this complex problem. The great Brazilian educator and author, Paulo Freire, is that how you pronounce any Spanish speaker here? Do you say it Freire? Freire? Portuguese, I'm not too clear on though, but I would think it'd be something like Freire. Well, right. Brazil is Portuguese. Thank you for that reminder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So here's what uh, pa- uh, Paulo Freire writes in um, his great book, The Pedagogy of the Oppressed. The oppressed, having internalized the image of the oppressor and adapted his guidelines and fearful of freedom, are fearful of freedom. Freedom can require them to re- eject this image and replace it with autonomy and responsibility. Freedom is acquired, but by contest, by, excuse me, by conquest, not by gift. It must be pursued constantly and responsibly. Freedom is not an ideal located outside of man, nor is it an idea which becomes myth. It is rather the indispensable condition for the quest for human completion, right? So many people feel like freedom is achieved by overcoming the external oppressor, but that doesn't, that there's, that's only one early level of freedom. The much deeper level of freedom comes from Within and this ability to uh, be educated and 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 overcome the, the fear of freedom that has emerged through oppression, <clears throat> the oppressed having inter uh, excuse me now th- this is certainly not sloth, but rather a different example of one of the many inhibitors placed in our minds and souls that prevent liberation. German philosopher Hegel called it our subordination to the consciousness of the master. Christian philosopher Thomas Aquinas argued in his uh, theological work here that sloth can be sinful in two situations. When one is in despair to perform what is spiritually good, and when one is so regretful about their wrongdoings that it becomes preventative for them. We can think of a number of other psychological reasons outside of the sin category, which, of course, early Christian thinkers were consumed with, and perhaps our framework for not falling into the trap of laziness that can therefore be more positive, focusing on alacrity and motivation rather than our sinfulness and sloth itself. Consider the following. A yeshiva, a particularly one out of, where with out-of-town students living in a dormitory, typically requires its students to attend the morning minion. Right? They're expected to learn late at night in the yeshiva, but be up very early for, many, for the morning prayers. One such yeshiva had a reputation for penalizing students who slept in and failed to attend. <clears throat> While perhaps the impending fine served as an incentive for some students, others were turned off to the very idea of davening as a result. Uh, I don't want to pray if I'm going to be penalized but for not showing up on time. On the other hand, a rosh yeshiva of another institution took a radically different approach. He would speak to students who overslept lovingly and with a smile, reminding them of the expectation to attend Minion and then add, but if you're going to sleep late, at least sleep well, right? And so um, how do we think about responding to others' laziness? Maybe someone in our family, maybe a child, maybe maybe a colleague who we feel doesn't like to push themselves or whatever the case is. Like, how do we respond to others? And one approach is kind of a, you know, more harshly, and, you know, there may be some data to su- support that. Um, think about a, a gym trainer, right? Do you want a gym trainer who's going to yell at you or, 
you know, be gentle with you when you're tired, you know? Um, and how does that reflect differently in, you know, at, you know, at home or at work or whatever the case is. And, um, uh, and yet to think about the benefits of this supportive approach. Um, psychologists have found that life satisfaction is 22% more likely for those with consistent ongoing minor accomplishments than for those who express interest only in massive accomplishments, right? That, um, that ought to be clear to us, um, but ongoing minor accomplishments are going to uh, push us further than having these massive ones. Laziness too is not conquered by being um, a major life goal, right? You can't say I'm gonna be less lazy this year, but incrementally every moment of our existence, we must seek little victories. The research shows that this can lead to a more meaningful and happy life. To this effect, the Vilna Goad, the, uh, uh, known as the Gra, found it meaningful to argue that the reward for doing mitzvot is so much greater than the effort expended. He writes over here, how difficult is it to leave this world? In this world for a few kopecks, a person can purchase tzitzit. And as a reward for this simple mitzvah, merit to experience the divine presence in the world to come. But in the upper world, he can no longer earn anything, even if he exerts all his energies. So that kind of theology may speak to some of us, may not to some of us. Laziness is a great force in our modern age, but it doesn't have to be a dominating one. Every day, countless people wake up to face the day with the ability to combat the forces inside them that tempt them to lay in bed for just five more minutes. Those five minutes turn into 10 minutes and then suddenly an hour has gone by. Two hours, 12 hours, a whole day wasted. Laziness is easy, which makes it an appealing trait. But we know intellectually that laziness breeds apathy, and apathy leads to destruction of mind, of environment, and at the most extreme levels of other people. Our laziness is not only found in the realm of action, but also in the realm of thought. Sometimes we don't want to exert the effort to think more critically. So we fall back on old ways of knowing, all too simple ways of thinking and biases. Lama Rod Owens, who you know I've quoted a few times in this series, writes, I don't believe in evil people, nor do I believe in crazy people. I think evil and crazy are things we label people when we are too lazy to deal with their complexity or, or our own complexity. When we fail to relate to our own complexity, we fail to see the complexity of other people, especially the ones who cause a lot of harm. To step into the middle is to step away from the extremes of black and white into the discomfort of the many shades of gray, where we head to the edge of our, our practice, where our hearts break and we are forced to sit with both the love and the rage. Wow. Perhaps a helpful pathway toward overcoming laziness can best be found in zooming out of the immediate present toward our long-term purpose. Here's a quote from Dr. Erica Brown. Professor of Psychology and Education, Saul Schimmel, posits that sloth or relig religious laziness consists in our submission to the natural human tendency to avoid our obligations when they demand effort and sacrifice. The failure often occurs not because we are evil, but because we take a narrow view of life. <clears throat> if we could fully appreciate the long-term positive consequences of benevolent behavior for ourselves and for society, we would overcome the annoyance we feel when in acting charitably, we forego immediate pleasures. I believe, and I hope people will push back in our, in our um, <clears throat> conversation, that one of the main people 
reasons why people, um, let's just say Jews, for example, are not religious, and I mean religious in the most pluralistic sense, um, is not because, oh, I thought, I worked through the issues really cr critically, and I concluded this about God, or I concluded this about ritual. It, it, it really is um, kind of a, um, kind, kind of a laziness, like, do I want to invest in spiritual life? Do I want to invest in participating in community? Do I want to wake up on a Saturday and go to a go to a minion? Do I want to think critically about like how to engage ritual in my life? Do I want to think about how do I support community, right? People who are sick in the community and people who are mourning or grieving. Do I want to do I want to do that, right? And it might just sound like, oh, I'm not religious because I don't believe what religious people believe. Right. But once we look at the nuance of kind of the whole extent of what religion can entail, I really do think that um, for, for many of us, myself certainly included, that a lot of it really does come down to um, do I just kind of want to do what's fun today or do I want to be a part of something that's deeply meaningful but requires some level of, of commitment? So merely hiding behind our religious denominations and convictions or our political parties is lazy and it deadens the soul. Far more important than choosing what religious denomination or political party we're going to affiliate with is deciding whether we're going to live each day as an indifferent Jew or journeying as a passionate Jew, vigorously seeking wisdom and virtue each day. We must loosen our grip on our conformist affiliations and embrace others. We can't afford to lose them. Yes, we need to build communities that have shared assumptions and values, but we can't rely so heavily on them that we stop thinking about those who do not conform to our beliefs. If we wish to live lives infused with kindness, we'll need to be prepared to jump at the opportunity. When we get a phone call, we get an email, we read something in the news, to jump at the opportunity, opportunity to, to, to show kindness. When we're about to jump, many doubts will emerge for us. Some of those doubts may be helpful and productive to listen to. But other times, it may be that the voice of laziness telling us staying put comfortably is what feels most right. We, of course, need balance in our lives. We can't always be running a marathon, but we, we also know that living a meaningful life means some things are worth fighting for and worth going out of our comfort zone for. May we all be blessed with the passion, motivation, and will to conquer the inner force demanding complacency, conformity, and ease of existence. Okay, dear friends, I would love to hear from you on, on this topic today. All right, does anyone want to hear my sarcasm right now? Well, we are used to hearing some of it on some weeks, and we always welcome it. Okay, all right, well, here's <laughs> the issue, all right? I had, um, this is not a funny story, but it kind of is, okay? There was a former... Um, quasi-potential love interest, and I was talking to him on the phone, and I was talking to him about um, how, you know, when it comes to technology versus people being lazy, that kind of stuff, and he thought he was going to be, you know, kind of a smart aleck with me and say, oh, no, see, I saw this, I saw this cartoon, and it had this cartoon strip, and it had all these panels that said, text messaging is going to make people lazy, then it went to the printing press is going to make people lazy. And then it went to, you know, like um, way, way, way back in time, writing is going to make people lazy. And I said, baby, those are not the same thing. And there's a reason why they're not the same thing. I said, compare how many millennia it took before the average person that's walking down the street 
could all like just basically everyone could write versus how many people got text messaging right after the, you know, not long after the technology was invented. And he said, oh yeah, I guess Facebook went from one to a billion people in less than 10 years. And I said, yes. Now, is it because the technology makes people lazy? No, it's because people make people lazy. I mean, I promise you the first trillionaire will be someone who invents the iPod device, okay? And so then he got kind of a little bit annoyed with me. Now, with Portugal coming into that, though, this is, um, he he ended up getting told by Felicia in the middle of a por in a sidewalk in Portugal, which is not funny, but it's the only way I can get through telling that story because it is kind of funny. But the problem is, is that I think that, um, well, in his case, when it comes to laziness, um, you know, well, actually making accounting for the fact that, well, population, the rate of, um, historically, the rate of progress accelerates over time and everything. He just wanted to give me the brush off, okay? In my case, for the laziness there, those that I told him, but I didn't tell him exactly by Felicia fast enough, because then we were in Portugal together, and that ended up being very uncomfortable. But that's why I say it's not a funny story. But the... Um, the, the aspect, the really point is, though, is that, well, we are lazy in a lot of different ways. So are we, you know, like if we get technology in our hands, we're just going to turn it into something. The Internet was not intended for people to watch inappropriate videos and cat videos and everything. But that's what a lot of people do. Um, the printing press, we can talk about breakdown of local communities versus, you know, well, I can just get things the easy way by reading a newspaper. We can talk about how social media makes everything easy. But we can also talk about, though, um, well, versus and when it comes to even writing. When was the last time any of us heard the Iliad, you know, from a memorized performance? I don't think any, has anyone heard that? So did it kind of, um, did it just not exactly encourage laziness, but did we take it and turn it into laziness great great thank you there's really there's really so much there and um and i appreciate that because i think you touch on both the 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 the, the realm of relationships and the realm of truth and when we think about technology and how it can um it can promote um a laziness perhaps it, it, we should ask ourselves when should i text someone versus call them when should i call them versus meet in person when should I mail a letter versus send an email? These are important questions of how we communicate and when to use each one. You can imagine breaking up with someone in a relationship by text, in some cases being appropriate, and some cases being wildly inappropriate, right, in terms of ending a relationship. You can imagine delivering a message by email, in some cases um, being totally appropriate and sometimes needing to be in person. So how do we think about um, relationships and what, what forms of communication we choose to use to convey um, what we want to convey in the world um, through all the various opportunities we have. And then there's the realm Aglaia brings up here as well in the realm of truth um, and how we just spend the time reading, reading things and how much of our data is just Googling and reading the first article we find versus doing proper research. How much is reading the cliff notes, so to speak, rather than reading the book? How much of it is kind of finding an easy way out when we should just sustain the tension of of kind of reading a little further you know uh, you know going a little deeper so thank you for that the the, the 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 conversation about laziness is amazing of how much it enhances our life and also some of the some of the risks and downsides as well hi lauren you're still on mute there lauren hi yeah sorry about that i couldn't get okay. um I'm, I'm using my phone it's a little more awkward than my ipad um <clears throat> I think COVID's had a, at least for me, 
had a very, very big effect. I mean, as far as like intellectually, I spend my day on Zoom going from one class to the other. It's, it's great. But pre-COVID, I volunteered a few days a week. I would go to the art gallery. I would do stuff. And since COVID, it's like a little scary to be out there. I mean, masking is no longer mandatory. I don't want to go anywhere where it's not, where everyone isn't masked. And, and it's had a huge effect. And the other thing is, depending, you're lucky. You live in a place where the sun shines. We haven't had sunshine in like maybe two weeks. It's warmer than it should be. It's like four degrees centigrade. Um, I guess that's like about 30 something. You know, it's above freezing. But it's cloudy and it's cloudy and it's cloudy. And I haven't been out for a walk since Friday. I should be. But it's hard to motivate yourself when it's like just so ugh outside, you know? So I don't know. Is that laziness or is that just giving in to external factors? Mm -hmm. Great, Lauren. Thank you for that. And thank you, Sarah, for e and Ethan on the side for, in the chat as well. Like, is laziness a helpful category to think about? Certainly applying it to others is something we should avoid um, because it most certainly is very relative in terms of what our commitments are, what our pace in life is, um, what our goals are, you know, and different stages of life. Um, but applying it to ourselves, like if, if we go a level deeper as well, um, and I appreciate we share there, Lauren, if we go a level deeper and just look at some of the psychological dimensions around things that are preventing us from do the things we want to do and need to do, like how do we get at some of the root of that? And um, so, so yeah, I, I would welcome folks to reflect on that of for you or or just intellectually how you think about that. Yeah, hi, Gary. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Yeah, I, I want to push back a little bit of what you, you on the end part of your uh, lecture here this morning, when you talk about laziness, uh, somewhat related to, to Judaism, uh, between the religious and, and the secular. Uh, uh, I, I don't know if... If, if that's a fair comparison, because the thought is completely different. You know, uh, people that are very observant do it because God said so, or their faith in, in God. The secular may may get off their, their haunches and do it for the good of socialization, uh, uh, good for society. Uh, but ultimately, uh, it, it, the good is done, uh, either because I believe, have faith in God or I don't. Uh, the end result to me is is equally the same, and and you know, and, and well, I'm telling you, you should know that you know, Judean says just do it. Faith will come, hopefully. If it doesn't, that's great, but the deed has been done. And so, I, I to me, I, I don't see a, a difference there. Where if I decide not to get up and and uh, go to Minion in the morning, or if someone doesn't decide not to keep kosher or wear a kippah or where to sit. You know, the, the ultimate is 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 the good that that was done. Yeah, thank you, Gary. I I I, I totally agree with what you said, and I love that you brought in Naseb and Mishma. Um, that we we should do and understand later, because sometimes understanding um, prevents our doing, and that and sometimes that's really productive. But other times we learn from that kind of category of Naseb and Mishma. We will do, and then we will understand. Um, as um, as you said, it's kind of the, at, at the root of Judaism. And I think you're absolutely right. In terms of doing good and doing kindness in the world, I see no difference between religious or secular or such an ideology. 
I sort of mean like engaging in the kind of the the ritual dimensions of religion. And I certainly don't mean to make, you know, one end of religiosity any better than any other. Um, but merely, you know, I was just sort of another example of how, um, of where do we, what, you know, I'm kind of calling laziness here, where, where do we kind of give ourselves too much of a pass for not participating in things uh, because of kind of old conclusions. Mm -hmm. And so, um, uh, and we see people on both ends, people who are, are coming on old con conclusions. That, that's why they are engaged religiously and people who are not participating religiously for the opposite reason. And so, so it's just a different category from the, from the kindness one. And, and I appreciate you flagging that for, uh, for more clarity and for pushback. Hi, hi Cheryl. Good morning. I, I, I find um, that the busier I am, yeah. the the I shouldn't say the busier because the more things that I have to do, the less likely I am to be quote lazy and not do them. You know, in other words, that I I'm I don't push them as I said. Oh, I have A, B, and C to do, and then X, Y, and Z. So I better get going as opposed to looking at my to-do list or my calendar and it's, you know, I said, oh, today could be a lazy day. That's not good. So, I mean, it's okay because I think it's okay to have those kinds of things. But I think the, the I think laziness comes from, I mean, maybe lack of intentionality. Mm, mm. Oh, beautiful, Cheryl. I love that. You're totally right. Like as a process of self-care, as a process of joy in life, it makes a ton of sense to set aside time to lay around time to vacation, time to relax. Like, and we shouldn't categorize that as laziness. I think that that what we're categorizing here is when one's goal actually is to go do something good and then they don't do it um, when, when yeah, I think like Cheryl's saying here, because there's kind of a lack of intentionality that kind of moves it from that to-do list to actualization. And so I would never categorize as lazy, like, yeah, setting aside time for not being um, immersed in doing, 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 doing. Um, but but like you said, I, part of it is that that lack of intentionality when when one does have a goal. Someone says, oh, I decided I'm going to volunteer four times a month. I'm going to commit to four times a month volunteering. And then it doesn't happen. And one says, well, why didn't that happen? Was it a scheduling error? Was it an intentionality problem? Was it that I just got on the couch and couldn't get off? Like, what was it that I didn't actualize my vision here? Yeah, Cheryl, do you want to say more on there? Yes. Um, the, I, I also think that some of the things that are defined as maybe lazy are not really, I've cons considered that. And, and then that that's why it's a psychological thing, I think, more than um, anything else, unless you have, you know, the, an, an inability to get up and, and go. But um, I retired um, ten, 10 years ago, and it's I still have a very difficult time saying, I'm going to, I have the time, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to read during the day or something like that. I feel like I need to be, quote, doing something other than, you know, that, that, that seems to me, wow, sitting down and reading in the middle of the day that I should be doing something else where there's really nothing wrong with increasing, you know, in, increasing whatever it is that I'm gaining from what I'm reading or that kind of thing. So I think the def by definition, Laziness is, you know, something that you define in your own head, or yes. in my case, in my own head. <laughs> so. Yes, right, and that resonates with what Sarah, Sarah shared earlier about being relative. 
highly relative. I think, I think that's totally right. And and that's that's what I hope we can all leave this reflecting on is like, how does this category, you know, what does this category mean to me? Like, it might be a very limited sense, but like, in what sense am I lacking the discipline to achieve some of the things that I want to achieve in the realm of kindness? Like, maybe we're not thinking today about exercise or, or something else, but like, in doing kindness, like, is any aspect of me not actualizing my kindness potential due to a lack of discipline? And if it is, how do I unpack that? Um, and I know for myself, there is like, there's, I've got a whole lot of goals around kindness this coming year. And part of it's a problem of focus. Part of it's a problem of, you know, having the resources to do it. Part of it's a problem of like, have I built in the discipline to achieve it? Hi, Ethan. Hi, Rabbi. Um, first, I appreciate the, the direction that this conversation is going and i think there are some awesome comments in the the chat um you know when we were speaking earlier rabbi your your comment about you know laziness in, in judaism um one of the the first things that i i thought about was i believe we are entering and continuing into an age of enlightenment um in personal ownership meaning that um, I think our own individuality continues to be brought to life in our own uh, understanding of our worth um, and our value to this earth continues to grow. And that's a great thing um, that we won't mindlessly do actions that we don't believe add value to our life. Um, I think that's a great thing that I believe that we as as human kind and, and Jews uh, specifically are continuing to be thoughtful about doing things that we believe in. Um, however, I would also tie back to the, the Hebrew words um, and teachings of the, the teaching of Keva versus Kevanah um, and the, the teaching of uh, intention versus habit. Um, I think that maybe all too, maybe too often, we are focused on, um, on the surface, what will provide value to us. Um, and maybe too often, we don't set for ourselves habits that are more mindless, um, that we just need to do um, in order to grow in whatever way that, you know, I, I think maybe we are losing to a certain degree that that um, that ritual habitual nature of, of some of some of our practices. I think like you know in some of the the fitness stuff that I do, I've often heard that your your growth isn't dictated by how motivated you are. It's simply by the habits that you create. You're gonna wake up and there are gonna be early mornings and days that you don't want to do things that are good for you. It's about setting the standard for yourself, the habits for yourself, that even when you're not motivated, that you are going to do those things because in the long run, they are gonna benefit you. So that's kind of some of the things I've been thinking about here. Very cool, very cool. Thank you, Ethan. So much to share there. And um, uh, yeah, I, I love that you brought up Kavanaugh versus Keva, this, you know, this, this sense of like, where is what we're talking about here setting deeper intentionality and where is this um uh you know and that means re-examining re what we're doing and thinking creatively and a whole different skill set and where is it about keva where is it about building in certain habits into our lives that we believe in and just sticking to them and so let me give an example of my own laziness yesterday i was in a public place i had finished reading a newspaper and they didn't have a recycling bin they just had a garbage bin and um 
I very easily could have been like, I'm going to bring this newspaper in my car and at night I'll bring it home and then I'll put it in my recycling bin. But instead I'm like, ah, it's their fault. They should have given a recycling bin. They didn't. So I'm going to put it in their garbage. And that was nothing. And the way, only way I understand that is my own laziness. Like I should, I, I am committed to recycling. I should have brought the newspaper in my car and brought it home and done it. But instead I said, they just got a garbage. It's their fault, not mine. Right. And so, um, but if I had built in a cab, if I had built in a habit to say, no, that it's not a question, like I'm going to commit to that. So then how am I going to do it? So um, yeah, a lot to unpack there. And and I welcome other thoughts on, on Ethan's helpful kind of Kavanaugh versus Keva model there. Thank you. Yeah, it's, Sarah, thank you for that there as well. Re, I, I appreciate redefining laziness as a lack of discipline to enact our acts of kindness. Am I regular in filling, filling my Senec box? Right. And um, there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons why we don't all donate every day, right? But um, but one of them might simply be like, huh? If I've decided I'm going to be a charitable person, well, why haven't I built in some sedaka into every day? Like, is that is that is that you know what's that about? Is part of it the discipline? Yeah. Hi, Aglaia. Back to you. All right. Now I'm unmuted. Okay. So right. one thing that I I think that well I don't know how to put this exactly, but um, I'm gonna probably gonna stumble over words completely and everything though. But one thing that's kind of weird to me about the idea of laziness is that I, well, I go from a completely different angle. Now, a couple of, I think a couple of months ago, I posted something on my social media that said, because I was just not in a good mood. So anyway, though, so I took it out in a passive aggressive way and everything. And I said, people who would rather believe pretty lies than face the ugly truth are the reason for my job. Hence the reason why I resent pretty lies so much. Now, take it though, one of the reasons why I wrote that was because of the fact that there were some issues in one of my history classes, which is another story. But here's the problem though. I do consider the fact that are you actually going to believe a pretty lie? Would you rather believe a pretty lie than face the ugly truth? A huge reason for why I have to get up in front of a class and tell people, oh, by the way, your world really, really has a lot of evil things in it. Now, is it actually, is this something else we could consider laziness? The fact that, well, it's easier to just go along with the crowd. It's easier to just believe what the crowd is telling you. Now, we could talk about this all day in the U.S. about is it easier just to, you know, all of the people in my neighborhood, would it be easier for me to just say, make America great again? Um, I don't know. Not in my own conscience, but it does cause problems for me if I'm actually going to say, no, I don't want to make America great again, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, though, I mean, it can take a lot of effort to so is it you know a situation of laziness also in religion to throw this out there also about religion to just do as you're told even mm -hmm. if you have some moral objections to it just do as you're told great great thank you and so one of the one of the opportunities for us here is to think about what is our meaning making process for our own discomfort right if we have discomfort in thinking about some of the ugly truths right how do we make meaning of that Right. It's like some people want to study the Holocaust um, or study slavery or study, um, you know, things similar to that kind of thing. And some people just don't want to look at it at all. You know, and I'm not blaming either either camp, but like that we're, we, we make meaning in different ways. And when we sacrifice, how do we make meaning of that? When we give up our time, we give up our energy, we make ourselves uncomfortable. And um, that might be one of the ways to break through, again, what, what I'm calling laziness, but we can use a whole bunch of other terms. 
of not being willing to kind of engage with the messy, the uncomfortable, right? Um, because something is blocking us um, and we're not sure what we're going to gain by doing that. So, yeah, so thank you for that. And and I think the big the, a big role of a teacher, I think, is precisely making people uncomfortable. You know, in, in the learning zone, if you looked at a chart, like if, if, if a student is too uncomfortable, uh, excuse me, if a student is too comfortable, they're not going to learn. Um, and if a student is too uncomfortable, they're also not going to learn because it's too uncomfortable. How do you find that spot right in the middle where people are challenged enough, but not too challenged, right? That they, that they can still hear. And that's true for a lot of things we do. Um, if you are a doctor and trying to, you know, have your patient engage in a process of healing that they don't want to participate in. How do you, and, 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 and that's actually, I was reading something interesting re recently around kind of attention in the medical research world about speaking truth versus speaking towards what people are likely to do. You know, do you want to give the public advice as to what is going to be most likely for people to achieve? Or do you want to give what's actually true? Let's say, for example, I'm going to give, make up figures here uh, in an unhelpful way. Let's say you found that you needed 60 minutes of cardio to actually be good for the heart. But you found that people were only really willing to do 25 minutes. So do you give the medical advice 25 minutes or do you give the medical advice 60? Do you want to speak truth or do you want to speak to what people are going to do? And that's a difficult, that's a difficult tension uh, about how we also... And in the rabbi world, do you say, do you meet people where they're at and try to speak about, um, you know, should rabbis give sermons based on where people are at or towards the highest ethical ideals of Judaism? And that, and, and I hear that tension among rabbinic colleagues all the time about kind of what level or and as activists, as activists, do we push towards the ideal um, beyond what might be achievable at the moment because we don't want to give up that ideal or are we pragmatists and push for what's winnable? And both sides think the other's a sellout and is lazy. You know, so these are hard questions. These are hard questions. Okay, Eddie, your, your video came on. So I think that means you're ready to say something. <laughs> yes, thank you. I think it's so individualistic sometimes um, with certain cases. Um, I'm, I'm really starting to think about the educational system and how a lot of black and brown students are deemed lazy. And then it turns out that they are just simply challenged enough because our educational system is so backed up. You know, um, I I remember for a long time I was deemed lazy, but it turns out I was just in the wrong classes. I was I should have been in way more advanced classes, and um, that that goes to show us that sometimes the terms and ideology that we use to classify doesn't really meet the needs of individual folks, um, and I think it's a huge issue. I think it's a huge issue that our, our community deems uh, some folks as lazy, where um, there isn't the ability to coach or mentor to see that in, in, in actuality, there there is something more to there. So I think there's a, a healthy balance. But I also want to lean back on the idea of, of challenge, because I do think that when in life we, we don't have... Uh, challenges. And I think challenges can be positive. I think challenges can be a positive thing. Um, and I think a lot of growth comes with challenges. But I do think that when we do not have challenges, we tend to fall back into what's comfortable and what's safe. And um, comfortable and safe sometimes doesn't give us uh, an opportunity of growth. So um, those are my, my two cents on that. Love that. And, 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 and Eddie, let me give you one follow up on your last point. How do you feel about this conversation in progressive spaces around uh, safe spaces, right? On the one hand, safe spaces make a lot of sense because people are vulnerable and um, and they want to be in spaces they can be themselves. 
And another, and, and, and then there's another conversation I hear happening around how safe spaces are destroying society because um, the, uh, about how we're kind of break off and people aren't willing to be challenged or be uncomfortable. How do you think about safe spaces? Yeah, I'm going to quote one of my uh, friends that you actually know as well. Her name is Beth Strano. Um, she actually wrote a poem called Brave Spaces, where uh, she actually talked about the need for brave spaces rather than safe spaces. Brave spaces allows you to share what you are feeling, what your thoughts are, and instead of excluding people from uh, just only having safe spaces. I think there needs to be opportunity for folks to hear each other. But I also, I also think there needs to be opportunity for folks to have their own spaces that allow them to feel hundred percent safe. I I think that we need to move into a place where safety is looked upon as being able to hear other opinions that may not necessarily be the opinions you're hearing in a way that you do not feel like they're personal attacks. Awesome. So just to look at two things you shared before I move to Eric here, thank you so much for all that. Um, and especially around the racial biases. Um, again, how, how easy it is as one dimension of laziness to, um, to just uh, um, assume a bias about people um, um, rather than looking at people individually because that requires a lot more effort. And actually one of the laziness of biases that I grew up with was around laziness. I remember as a kid hearing very frequently in, in circles around me, black folks are lazy and Mexicans work hard. Black folks are lazy and Mexicans work hard. And there's a whole lot to unpack there. And I don't know if other people ever heard things like that when, when they were growing up around um, an American discourse around, um, oh, the homeless folks, you know, should just work harder to get a job, right? And people living in poverty have to just work harder. I mean, you know, and and that in particular going on on black folks, but but Mexican Im immigrants, for example, were deemed to kind of be people to respect because they were willing to work harder, you know? And so there's a whole bunch of racial stuff to unpack. And then kind of the Jewish narrative as well around, um, oh, well, my parents worked really hard and they got to where they are. I have this because of their hard work. How do we think about effort, you know, in regards to ethnic groups, effort and success, and 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 how do those inform some of our some of our biases? Um, the other thing you brought up is there, there's a great debate around homework. Homework should kids have more or less homework? And part of that has to do with how we understand academic excellence and what the expectations are of kids. But another part is. There is assumption among some that kids are lazy. And if kids don't have homework, they will fill their time with bad things. They're gonna smoke, they're gonna have sex, they're gonna watch TV, they're gonna do, they're gonna do bad things. And so we give them homework to distract them. But like that assumption of, oh well, are there other productive things kids might do, like play, like talk, like develop relationships if it's not all filled with homework? Part of the homework debate, I think, is kind of connected to this sense of like, what is a child fundamentally? Are they a selfish, lazy being that we have to like structure all their time or they're going to make bad choices? Or are they like noble beings who should have time to make their own choices on how to pursue their own goals? And yes, sometimes they'll make good choices, sometimes not bad choices. And how does the homework debate kind of play into that, that as well? Okay, Eric, over to you. Uh, thank you very much. This has been a very insightful uh, topic. And I want to commend some of the other um, participants. I've heard some of your sentiments um, and other um, and other topics where I think the messaging that I've heard from some of you in some of these other things, I think is just as insightful to bring it and is relevant to bring it on this topic as well. Um, I did have a thought and I, this might be kind of add on. We've talked about, um, for example, about 
Sadaka and the notion of can we give all ones versus uh, little by little. I, I do remember um, in my understanding of Judaism that what has been promoted when it comes to is to give is it's it's baby steps. So it's give it's better to give by little by little because it's by habit. When I think of that same application of a practice when it comes to laziness, I think while that is very helpful, the idea of taking baby steps to kind of break the the trend and systemic behavior of laziness, there's also additional factors that can influence can influence where it's no longer baby steps. There's an increase. Um, it's 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 a higher value, such as urgency and prioritization. Um, this could be whether it's health. Um, you know, starting off new versus going going all in. I just I, I feel like what we've talked today is a little bit about moderate. It's just baby steps. We talk about moderation, but I also think there's a sense of urgency and prioritization when it comes to combating and mitigating the impact of laziness in different aspects, whether that is physical, whether that is spiritual, spiritual um, focus, or if it is. Mm the people in our lives, fam, family or friends. So I, those are other core factors to consider that I've, I've learned to, and believe me, I'm, I'm combating my own sense of laziness. At, um, but I, I feel like this sense of urgency and prioritization when do, when going from baby steps to going a little, little bit more, has kind of helped me to understand that component. Thank you. Beautiful. Yeah, Eric, thank you for that. And no, I mean, I, I think a good activity, I mean, if, if it resonates for anyone to do after this session together is to say like, I, 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 knowing, knowing everyone here, I know we all are, are challenging ourselves to be more charitable, to be more giving, to live with more kindness. No one here is so arrogant to think I've mastered it. Like I, I am so charitable and I am so kind and giving, like I have no way to grow. I, we, we wouldn't be here together if any of us thought that. And so the question is then what do I do with the gap space? Right. I've decided my life is about being charitable, advocating for justice, being kind to people around me. And I know that I'm here, not there. And that's okay. I'm human. I can't be perfect. But how do, what are five reasons for the gap? And some of them might be really good reasons. Look, I work really hard. I just don't have any more time. Look, I'm, I, I'm paycheck to paycheck. I, I don't have an extra dollar for anything, right? Um, or, you know, we may have really good reasons. But then if we try to look at the other five, like what are five reasons, of things that are holding me back from being a little better, doing a little bit more, being a little bit more charitable? And um, and I like that you brought up some of those points Eric, around some of, around some of the what some of those barriers might be for us, and um, uh, and to try to work through psychologically what's holding us back. Like if I say like, huh, I really believe I should support causes, and I'm really not in any way uncomfortable in the way that I do it now. I have everything I want. I don't make a single sacrifice. The amount I give, I, I don't feel I don't feel it at all. Say okay. We, we should feel a little sacrifice in our life if we really believe a major part of life is giving back. So like, how am I going to do that? And how am I going to break through that discomfort a little bit to break through the routine I've kind of been in? And I love what you said, Eric, around baby steps. Like, but so the question's not like, how am I going to go from, you know, giving $10,000 a year to $100,000 a year? How am I going to go from giving a thousand to giving 5,000? Like, or how am I going to go from volunteering one hour a week to five? Like, question is, how, how am I going to make that baby step? And I think you're right, Eric, that at least as it comes to Sadaka, that's built in. That's kind of built in those baby steps is kind of building in those habits. Maimonides talks about that all the time. The Sefer Achinuch talks about that all the time, about the power of habituation as it emerges in our Sadaka as well. So thank you. For, thank you for that. I love that. 
All right, can I pop off at the mouth one more time? Yes, just before you do, Aglaia, I just want to welcome either Steve in or Rabbi Lerner. Um, who else have we not heard from? Or Alex, if any of them want to weigh in. Okay, we'll see if they, we will see if they join us. Aglaia, back to you for now. Okay, no one wanted to make me shut up today. Okay, that's interesting. Nobody ever wants to, nobody ever wants to make you shut up. <laughs> okay, my <laughs> students would disagree with you. But anyway, long story short, though, just my concern here is that if we're talking about making things into a disciplinized, my concern is, though, is that um, when it comes to that, though, sometimes routines can actually be self-defeating. So is there a way that these, um, like, actually making it into a, you know, sort of routine thing can also be self-defeating? And your love that, love that. And I'm going to toss that back to Ethan as well, based on what he had shared. And I think Sarah wants to jump in as well there. Um, but yeah, this this question of like, where does building in habit and routine, where is that really powerful and helpful? And where does that, you know, break down the spontaneity, the, the creativity? Yeah, Sarah, you want to weigh in on that? Well, I guess I'm going back to, <clears throat> sorry, um, the thing that that I put in the in the chat about Sedek box, which invites us to look at what we want to approach, what we what we do with it. So on a given day, I can have learned about something that is meaningful for me spiritually and globally. And then what's my next steps? And if I did something, who did I do it with? How well did it work? What does it mean? What are my next steps along the way? It's about continually reevaluating how we are taking these actions in the world to do good, to make our lives meaningful, and to reach out to others, to bring them into those actions so that we are all changing the world together. And for me, it's not about laziness. Often it's about inviting, inviting the other who may be too hesitant, too um, bewildered by how can I possibly do anything about these awful things, inviting them to share in that experience. And at the same time, we are bringing ourselves forward and it's all good. And it's all acts out of our hearts and in the world. So um, in terms of laziness, I think back to a time right after I had retired because I was injured and I was trying to process changing my whole notion of who I was. And for me, it felt so lazy. It was like, oh, my God, I didn't accomplish anything. Mm -hmm. And yet... Talking to my partner on the phone that night, he said, well, I can't believe you did all of that today. That's mm -hmm. amazing. Yeah. And so how we even view ourselves is so relative to what we expect and to what it means moving forward. And Great. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Sarah. Keep going. I'm complete. Oh, you're complete. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. And so how do we um, be gentle with others? And how do we find the right balance for ourselves of challenge and comfort, of self-embracing and self-love, and also a sense of, of growth and passion for, for learning and for, and for actualizing our potential? 
And that that's very different for all of us. Some stages of our lives, we really need um, to embrace our, our, our perfection. And some stages uh, we have to embrace kind of our, 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 our imperfection and our brokenness. And sometimes we really need to be pushed and sometimes we really need to be comforted. And one classic case, and I was thinking about what you said there as well around the retirement uh, piece, is people grieve very differently as well. And sometimes people are very shocked at how long their grieving process is. They feel guilty. Jeez, I thought losing a parent, I thought it was going to be over after a month or six months. And it's like, here I am two years later. And I feel down on myself. I'm like, I feel lazy and depressed. And like, like, what is this? And like, grieving takes time. And we can't label it as lazy or be hard on ourselves around that, right? And that's true for a whole bunch of, as Sarah brought up, self-identity shifts, right? Shifting in who we are in our life stage and being self-judgmental is not going to help. But so how do we break from being self-judgmental to being curious, but and yet still maintain a, a spirit of challenge? And uh, it's a paradox and it's a paradox. And, and we have different degrees of comfort with all of this. So friends, um, our last two sessions, we did reducing worry, reducing worry in our lives and, um, and increasing joy and seeing how those help to increase our kindness. Um, that, you know, reducing our worry, increasing our joy. And next week, we're going to talk about being hopeful, how breaking down despair and increasing hope can also help our kindness. And this one, it's a little more challenging than the happy ones. The happy ones are like, be joyful, be hopeful. And that's really great. And some of this also is like looking at some of our shadow side as well. Of like, where do we have vices that we can work on? And some of those vices might just be the the, the unwillingness to think more deeply or, or work through some of the challenges. Um, and that's where we can support each other and in, in various ways. And so I give you the blessing and I hope you'll give it back to me that we are um, kind to ourselves um, and gentle with ourselves. And also we find the spaces that are right for ourselves to break through some of those barriers where we can, you know, show a little more effort towards helping to bring repair to the world in small acts and in large acts. Have a wonderful day. Can't wait to see y'all next week. And just want to note that there is a, a day we're going to be off together. Um, we are together next week on the 17th. We're off on the 24th. Um, just want to note that we're off on January 24th. Um, because I'll be in Denver with Ethan and with our great um, fellows over there celebrating with them. And then on the 31st, uh, we're back together. Have a wonderful day. God bless. Stay warm and full of love and hope.